I am your host, Joe O'Neill, and this is, of course, episode two of Joe Talks. And if you want to use simple maths, we did episode one last week with Sean Basil Crawford. So if you want to listen to that right after you listen to this episode, that's absolutely more than allowed. Even welcomed. Uh, we've had a wonderful week when we let this go out into the world, big bad world. Um, we've got listeners from all over the globe immediately, which is fantastic, over 100 downloads. Really, really delighted with how it's gone and how it's been received. Really, really positive and wonderful feedback. Um, I haven't mentioned it because we didn't have the Insta and the Twitter Twitter set up last time. And we didn't, obviously, we didn't have it set up during when we recorded this episode a couple of months ago. So if you are on Instagram, find us at Joe Talks Pod. The same on Twitter, Joe Talks Pod, as well with finding myself at Acting Joe and Joe Your Own Way on Instagram. And to subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is you can find by just searching Joe O'Neill. Sound, 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 sound. <laughs> but for this week, um, seeing as we got an international audience over the last while, I decided, um, well, I decided a couple of months ago, but I'm still pretending like this is all a wonderful plan, to get um, a, a wonderful Canadian in. Uh, Talia Gonzalez-Kane and Talia is an absolutely world-class uh, performer and writer I met her after seeing her play in the International Gay Theatre Festival uh, about 18 months ago about two years ago and um, Drunken Lesbian Love Affair uh, which Talia wrote and was in a one-woman play absolutely mesmerising absolutely phenomenal performance and um, we kind of got chatting since then and then um, we've we've just become really good friends and I just had an absolute ball, absolute ball doing doing this with her um, when we recorded it in November, when the world was somewhat bright. We was we had a brief bright spell. I don't look depending on where you're listening to this, it, you either had a wonderful time or a miserable time. But most of us has been kind of been in between. But we're back to somewhat misery. But this is why people make podcasts. <laughs> But we've got to get on to the show now. And like I said, guys, if you can find us on Instagram, find us on Twitter. But the most important thing is to enjoy the show. So whether you're in Minnesota, Mozambique, or in my house, just um, enjoy the next hour and 50 minutes or so of um, of Movie Doc, where myself and Talia broke down 12 Years a Slave, Spotlight, Birdman, and Argo. So, yeah. So sit back and enjoy Talia Gonzalez-Kane. I love saying that name, first of all. Um, it, it never gets old. It gets more exciting as it goes. It's just, Talia is like odd and interesting enough, and then it's followed by Gonzalez, and then it's followed by Kane, which is both a nice, sturdy, strong name, but it's also something you can hit children with. So, like, for me, it's just, it's got everything that Joe O'Neill just doesn't have. How are you doing, Talia? I'm well. I'm well, thanks. It's yeah. a bit earlier here than it is in Ireland now, so, but it's, just as dark. So. It, yeah. Uh, do you mean like dark, like in like the sense of outside or like in our souls that well, Canadians I mean, are quite dark? Well, no, definitely dark outside. Okay, um, cool. It is, but it does get dark later than it did when I was living in Ireland. And I will say that was one of the biggest things I noticed when I lived there. Was yeah. How early it got dark and it was so dark. Yeah. I think like we... 
See, obviously, uh, this this will be coming out in January, where it still will be dark and miserable, but but slightly less so. I'm not sure when the clocks go forward or back, whatever happens next. But like in Ireland, as with kind of the UK, Ireland, and maybe like Scandinavian countries, it gets so dark mm-hmm. so early when it hits winter. And what that, that used to be fine because we got to go to the pub. Do you know, <laughs> and like the pub is always bright and cheery and music and wonderment. And hopefully when I'm listening back to this and you're all listening in January, that the pubs will be open and life will be wonderful wherever you are. Uh, but right now, everything closed, everything dark. And that's why some people set up podcasts um, <laughs> to keep that old misery uh, wolf from the door. I've actually heard an interesting um, fact because like obviously Ireland has, you know, as we just said, like dark very early nighttime comes that's not proper english nighttime nighttime comes early i guess is that seems poetic i'm gonna say that's what it should be called nighttime instead of of it it gets dark early nighttime nighttime comes early is what it's going to be known as from now on but also i heard an interesting fact because obviously the weather is so bad here so much of the time and that it rains so much and it's windy and it's hail everything but because of that, that's why Ireland, as such a small country, has such a phenomenal like art, artistic output, is mm. because we can't go outside and do anything. So we have to stay inside miserable and write songs about how miserable we are. <laughs> and then eventually we, we write fa- films and, mm. and, you know, and what else do we do? Poems and songs and everything from that. Um, so for me, that's why we're great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say there are uh, more reasons as well. But yeah. we'll that one for sure. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll just presume everything I said there was not utter horseshit. Just at least 5% correct, okay? I'll take 5%. That's what I got in many of my results in school. So, like, I'll take it then, I'll take it now. But, Talia, you are... I'm, I'm absolutely delighted that you agreed to come on, as this is the second ep- episode that Joe talks to Hunt for the Greatest Film of All Time. I think that's what it's called. You've had four films to look at, Argo, Birdman, 12 Years a Slave, and Spotlight, all one best picture. We're going to touch on them in a moment. But first of all, we want to delve more into your history with film growing up. Mm-hmm. What, for you, as a child, as an email, your earliest memory of film, what was your favorite growing up? Oh my gosh. So I have to be honest in saying I didn't actually watch a lot of films as a kid. <gasps> And I didn't, also, I'm sorry, you're probably going to hear some meowing in the background of this entire thing from the cats. Oh, from the cats. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. I thought you had like uh, maybe uh, someone in the background who had just thought they were a cat. So yeah. thankfully we'll know that the meowing is actually a cat. Yes. So if anyone's yes. listening, they won't need to be more confused than they already would be. Exactly. Perfect. Very, very little <laughs> cats in my quarantine home. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't watch a lot of films as a kid. Hmm. And honestly, I actually haven't. I'm quite embarrassed to say that I only saw one of the four films I was meant to watch for this. And but you have watched the other three since, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah. a really great excuse because they were all films that I'd always wanted to see and had an interest in seeing. Yeah. So what I found really wonderful was that what I found really wonderful about this whole quarantine and COVID time is that I've been making it a priority to actually watch all the movies that I just never watched before. Mm-hmm. I think it was partially a time thing, but I, I don't know. I just, I didn't do a whole lot of it, but now I've become a really big fan of movies. Right. So, like anyone isn't a fan of movies. Though. Yeah. So um, accountants aren't fans of movies. Exactly. Uh, yeah. They're just miserable. Sorry, accountants, if you're listening, but you have all the money and I hate you. 
Uh, <laughs> I'd say my first, my earliest, okay, my earliest film memory is very clear. It was the first film I ever saw in theaters, and it was Barney's Adventures in New York. Oh my god! Is that wait? Is that a film or is that like a? Oh no no no. So, no no no! It wasn't Barney's Adventures in New York. It was like Barney's Adventures. There was something to do with a magical rainbow egg, and this egg was missing, and they had to find it, and it. Like that was the journey. It was Barney and all these people had to run around and find this magical egg and that would save everything. And if they didn't find it, then, you know, something bad would happen. And I remember getting really upset at one point and leaving the theater with my father. And they were like, what's going on to you? Why are you so upset? And I was weeping at this point. And I was, I don't know, maybe five or something. Yeah. I like, but I just like, what if they don't find the egg? What if they don't like what if they don't fix it? What's going to happen? And I was so devastated and like really concerned that it would turn out badly. And I don't know, maybe I thought I just couldn't handle it if they didn't succeed. And maybe because I hadn't seen a movie really before then. <laughs> yeah. that movies usually ended up working out somehow. I don't know. It was a really jarring experience. And it's not that clear. I just remember crying to my dad saying, oh don't find the egg or finish or whatever it was that was happening. But beyond that. But but did they? Did, did they find the egg? Oh, they did. Oh, jeez. Don't, 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 don't they have to find an egg? Like, I think they had to find something. It was a rainbow yeah. egg, and it, like, yeah. lost one of its colored stripes over the time if they didn't achieve or find whatever they were supposed to. Yeah. You really need to look it up and find out what was going on. But it really struck a chord with me. That Barney movie. God. <laughs> the next movie, the movie that was, I, I hesitate to call it my favorite because I don't know if it was my favorite, mm -hmm. but it was memorable. And it was Castaway, which I saw. I know. What? <laughs> which I saw when I was maybe, I don't know, I must have been like seven or something. Mm -hmm. I was quite young. And I was moved by Wilson that volleyball. I, well I also think it was the first sort of grown-up film that I'd seen and the yeah. first film that I'd seen with like real people in it as opposed to some kind of animated film yeah and so something about that I guess felt very real and it really struck me as this devastating moment and I was heartbroken when he goes back and finds his wife has moved on and all this stuff and I'm just like how could you and that's one movie that I anytime I watch it it's a surefire weep weep time Talia, like, them are those are the most bizarre. <laughs> like, like, okay, I will say, like, there was a time in my life I remember around the time Castaway came out where I was like, I was obsessed with having to see that film. I can't remember what prompted me to see it, but like for my list, but like it was a phenomenal film. Look, and Wilson the volleyball, Wilson, that would break anyone's heart. Like yeah. that when, and it's just the like the strength of Tom Hanks's performance. As well, and when he's when he's floating away, where he literally is going to sacrifice his life to get it, yeah. You know? And you're like, and you believed it, and it was so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But to come up with like, I would never anticipate, okay, someone who's younger than me to have their two favorite films growing up that affected them the most, and one of them you said, I'm I'm hesitant to say, and it's one of my favorite films is <laughs> is Cast Away and Barney's Adventure in possibly New York are the two films <laughs> that affected you the most. I'm not judging. Look, I'm all I'm here for like a good time as well as a long time. And in fairness to you, 
well done. Okay, the two definite choices yeah. that won't come up again. I mean, I do have to say, I think impactful and favorite are different. Okay, okay, okay. Like what's impactful, that might be it. I'm also just like, I love this moment that made me feel so many things I could never understand because I was five. But damn, but in all honesty, it was sort of what showed me, I don't know, like the power of film. In yeah. Well, I, I look, my favorite thing you said there was, it was so heartbreaking when he left his wife. I'm like, I'm just pitching seven-year-old Talia, no. like <laughs> sit, sitting there, like eating, eating popcorn going, that, that woman doesn't understand what he's been through. Yeah. <laughs> Take him back. I don't care about your emotion towards your husband. Take Tom Hanks back. Exactly. Well, this is the thing. I was really upset and I was like, but why... Why don't you just get back with him now? Like he's here and after everything he's been through. And I do think that part of it is probably that I think part of it is probably that it exposed me to things that I didn't know were possibilities mm. before. Mm. So I think, and like that got really deep for a second, but very deep, yes. really, <laughs> I do think that, and I mean, like, this is also something that, you know, at that time in my life, I didn't really know what divorce was. In my mind, my parents were together and uh, like they still are, they, they never got divorced, but it was one of those things that in my head, when two people were together, they were just together forever and there was no question to it. And I was quite blind to the fact that there could be any other alternative. Mm. And so for me, I think that might've been part of why I was so devastated and confused <laughs> as to why she wouldn't take Tom Hanks back. He so valiantly showed up there with his little package and then he still delivered the volleyball. Like, Of course, because of course he would. But yeah, too, I don't expect those two films to ever be mentioned again <laughs> on, this, on, this, on this podcast and the probably 100 episodes you might have. But hey, it's good to be different. Yeah. So like I said before, uh, today was given the, the series, the reason today is four and, and Sean last week had three and the person coming on in the next episode will have three is because in the way these brackets work and so it all adds up there's three four and three so it just depends on who has more time to watch films and Talia's all the time in the world to watch movies so that's why <laughs> she got four this time but that's how it'll work in every 10-year bracket there'll be three four and three but as i mentioned earlier on ergo birdman 12 years delay 12 years at slave and spotlight four incredibly different films mm-hmm. and each telling like a severely different story. Like I actually, I, this is one of the few times where I'd seen all of the films prior to rewatching them over the last week or so. And um, yeah, very, very, very tough watch. There's some that have aged, not aged better. I wouldn't say that, I don't mean it, but for me watching it more recently as a bit older from when I watched it before, it really impacted me more. So then it actually hit me the first time. For you watching all these four over the last while, what what are your kind of general thoughts on, on the films? I mean, I actually would say, well, they are all very different. Mm. I think one thing I found was that the three of them, Argo, 12 Years a Slave and Spotlight, are all based on true stories. Yes, yeah. While Birdman is like in the sense of you know, life, it's not yeah. necessarily a true story. And so that actually really differentiated all of them for me. Mm. And Birdman was also the only one that I'd seen before. <laughs> oh, was that not? Yeah, I was trying to figure out yeah. my head. I figured it um, And so, yeah, I mean, for me, I think that there was something, they are so different and so impactful and powerful in their own ways. Mm. The cinematography throughout all of them, I found really enticing. They do mm. really interesting things with it. The storylines, 
I mean, I'm a bit of a sucker for anything that's a true story. Yeah. Because it just kind of hits you in that guttural way of watching a movie and being really impacted by the movie itself. And then after the fact, considering the fact that it's also a true story mm. and what that means and what it means that it has now been commercialized and turned into a movie yeah. and what it means to be consuming that. I would argue a little bit on the, the three of them, like that you mentioned, are true stories. But I would say Birdman is 70% a true story Yeah, um, because sure. I feel that although Michael Keaton didn't write this film, that film is him. And Alejandro Iriartu made it for Michael Keaton and Ed Norton, who came in, that, that character is based entirely on him as well, which we'll go into when we're discussing wherever Birdman comes. It seems like every one of these films is... That, that, that's what I would say. Like, three of them are true stories, but Birdman is, although it is an original, it is as true to life to the actors themselves, yeah. um, especially Michael Keaton and Edward Norton that for me it feels like when I was watching that, I was getting anxiety, you know, um, at, at some parts of what, what these guys were going through. But we'll cover all that in when we get to these films. From fourth to first, just in, as quickly as we can, was it difficult to rank them or did it kind yes. of come naturally? Oh, okay. Okay, that's good. I found it very difficult to rank them because... And I think I I think partially because the majority of them were also very new to me. So it made it difficult to sort of think about it after the fact and give yourself that space and time that sometimes you need to sort of just make a decision or rank things. Yeah. Um, I think overall in terms of, okay, overall my ranking, I hate putting it in fourth because I don't want to. Okay, so we have we're going for fourth now, are we? Okay, cool. Okay. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. So in fourth place, what have we got? Birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance. Oh wow. 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 Okay. I did not expect that. I And I figured you were going to go that way from the fact that if you said the original story, sorry, the, that they're all based on true stories and that kind of hit you more. I figured you'd go that way in that. Okay. So fourth is Birdman. A uh, bit surprised than that, but this is what we've got on Birdman, The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. A washed up superhero actor attempts to revive his fading career by writing, directing and starring in a Broadway production. Birdman won four Oscars, including Best Picture, of course. And along with that, it was nominated for 286 major awards around the world, winning 191. Out of the four Oscars it won, Talia, can you tell me what they were, aside from Best Picture? Oh, um, Best Actor? No. Oh. Um, I'll give you one more guess, even though there is. Oh, Best Sound Design? Is. Or music composition, like something sound-wise, music-wise? No, actually, what you mentioned, it, it won pretty much the best awards it won. It won Best Picture, of course. It won Best Director for Alejandro uh, Iriartu, mm -hmm. Best Writing on the Screenplay, Original Screenplay, uh, Alejandro Iriartu, Nicholas... Uh, oh, there's, like, you'd be so much better reading these names than I am. Uh, <laughs> Nicholas uh, Giacan Bone. I'm really sorry, guys. You're probably all <laughs> laughing at me trying to, like... Alexander Dinalares, uh, Armando Bo, and then cinematography, uh, Emmanuel 
Levinsky uh, won for that. Michael Keaton was nominated for Best Actor. Uh, Edward Norton was nominated for Best Supporting. Emma Stone for Best Supporting Actress. And Best and Sound Mixing, John Taylor, Frank A. Montero, and Thomas Varga for Sound Mixing. And Best Achievement in Sound Editing, Aaron Glasscock and Martin Hernandez. So I think that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I think. Ten nominations overall, but four wins. So... Basically, do we are we figuring why you put in for it is just because is there anything more than just that it's it didn't hit you with the fact that it's not a true story? A bit, a bit actually. It's funny. My history with Birdman is a bit complex. Hmm. That I actually the first time I tried to watch it was many years ago. It was like probably within the year or two that it came out, hmm. and I'd actually tried to watch it like three or four times, and for whatever reason. I couldn't get through it. And I don't know if maybe it was the, I mean, like right now I'm not really doing theater, of course, but maybe at the time I was just doing a lot of theater and it felt too intense and it felt a little too real. Yeah. And so I don't, it's funny. I had a hard time getting through it and I've never really been able to pinpoint why, but I think it's probably because there were reflections of, things that could happen and how it could be yeah. and how it could end up. And also seeing such a brilliant actor doing that role mm. was, I think probably a little bit like disturbing <laughs> for the oh, artist. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wonder if maybe it just like, wasn't, it just didn't sit right with me. I can completely. But then yeah. I enjoyed it a lot after I did eventually watch it and can recognize the artistry in it and you know how powerful and moving it was and why it did win best picture mm. but i think that i don't know i think my personal views kind of skewed it a bit for me <laughs> i think that's fair enough like that's what i mean when i watched and i got anxiety because when i i watched mm. it pretty much when it first came out in 2014 and i was like this is I this seems a bit too clever. It's like they're trying too hard. I didn't get it. I didn't get it because I wasn't old enough and I wasn't long enough. It was prior to me starting my own theater company. It was prior to me to actually working in any capacity in the in the industry. So I didn't I didn't get it. That was basically it. I just I was like this this film is just trying too hard, and I, I didn't think it was funny. I, even though it's supposed to be a comedy. Then obviously one best picture, and I was like that's great. And I thought Michael Keaton was really good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he deserved to win uh, the Oscar for Best Actor, which he didn't. Eddie Redmayne won it, who I still feel shouldn't have won it. But again, he won for Stephen Hawking for oh, yeah. Uh, but that's I think that's a different argument. On I feel <laughs> it's a little bit easier to win something when the whole body. It's not easy. Sorry, it's not easy to win that. I just feel when you're creating a character that doesn't have something that is so shining that you can just kind of go into. Yeah. But again, that's a different argument. And people are probably yelling at me right now for saying that, but I just think Michael Keaton deserved the Oscar. But when I watched this film last week and it was around half 11, uh, when I, when I stuck it on, I said, I'll I'll give this a watch. I like my soul broke. I was Mm -hmm. like, this, this could so this, this could so easily be me. Anyone I know in the industry that is so kind of, broken and destroyed by it and it's also a case of it's not just about being an actor it, uh, that once had everything and now it's gone it's it's someone who's lost their prime who mm-hmm. peaks too early and now they're a nobody do you know and that that crosses every boundary in your life and you he sees this as his last chance and he's literally put 
everything on the line to to get even a smidgen of what he had before. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's, it really hurt, you know, really, really. Like, for me, like, it. Uh, I can completely understand. I completely respect. It's so difficult to make these lists. But I can completely respect why you put it number four. But for me, I I would have I was wondering between this and another film what you might have in my own guess where you'd put it. I thought you would have had this like battling one up with the top two. No, I think there is something actually. It just occurred to me when you said it about when you watch these things, because watching that film now is so different from the first time I tried to watch it when I was. Yes, that was like my second year living in Toronto. Yeah, And so at that point, I'd like, all I'd really experienced was being kicked out of theater school and then trying to survive. So I think maybe it just like struck as a little too real then. I mean, much like the Barney movie. (laughs) Way that you just can't, that you're not able to shake, but I do definitely appreciate it in a different way. Mm. Because I think, yeah, I was too young when I first tried to watch it and I just didn't really get it. Yes, I didn't get. I didn't get it either the first time I watched it. I I think now I completely understand what what he's saying and what he's trying to do. So, what is your favorite things about this film? Um, I mean, overall, the cinematography mm. is so captivating, and it it sort of it feels like it follows the rhythm of a heartbeat. Like the and the sound. Oh my gosh, the sound in that movie is so brilliant because it's mm. just this sort of. It's almost like a a clock ticking. You can almost yeah. hear a clock ticking throughout the whole thing. And it adds this sense of pressure. And I think that's what it create. It does such a good job at creating this world in which all you can see and hear is this one world. And you really get to get into the mind of Michael Keaton's character. Yeah. And that's, and even when you have scenes with Emma Stone and the other, the stuff that really moves you and when they're in the theater you still somehow, even when the focus isn't necessarily on Michael Keaton, are with him. Mm. And you're almost hearing everything through his character. Yeah. I, I think this is one of the few, where pretty much the entire film is seen through one character's eyes. Like we see kind of snippets of Edward Norton's character and Emma Stone's when, when they're on the roof together, but it's, it's all true Regan, uh, played by Michael Keaton. The same as... The previous episode with Green Book, where it's all seen through uh, Bigger Morrison's eyes, like this is really, it really is Regan, it really is Michael Keaton's story, and um, like you were saying with the, the like the the music on the score, like with the where you said where you said you felt like there was a clock going through it, like the score, like the drums, just the drums on their own, the whole yeah. film is, inc- like how he put this together, um, Alejandro Iriarto, is just for me absolutely mind blowing. Because I didn't really know about him before this. Um, mm-hmm. I know he won Best Director as well in this. I think he was nominated before as well, I think. But this put him on the map in a way that I could never imagine. And like, like you were saying, the whole thing about being real, and especially if we work in the industry, you, we've all met pretty much everyone that's in that at yeah. some point, you know, <laughs> especially Edward Norton's character. So for you, what is this? There's so many, it's hard to pick a standout scene because it's like the the fact that it's all done in, I'm not. It's not done in one take, but it's done in one take. It's meant to seem like that. Yeah. Uh, again, is such a creative and an ingenious way of shooting this film. Uh, actually, before we go into the your favorite scene, I have a couple of fun trivia facts. Okay. Uh, 
Because the movie was carefully rehearsed as shot and shot in sequence, editing only took two weeks. Oh, right. I read that, I, sorry, I read that differently when I, when I wrote it down earlier on. Oh, yeah. That that sounds wonderful. That sounds amazing. Also, what is it like for the actors to be able to shoot in sequence? I guess that I see. I've often wondered about this. All right, Daniel Day Lewis. To go a bit off topic, is you know a renowned the method actor of the world. You know, probably one of the last like true ones left. Like, how does he feel about shooting a sequence? Mm. You know, like that must be difficult when you're you have enough like barriers in front trying to get into this character, but then like having to be whatever dying one sequence and then your wife yeah. can revert it. And you know, it's a bit difficult. So I'd love to know. I'd love to actually ask him that. But to continue with the trivia, sorry. Given the unusual uh, style of filming long takes, Edward Norton and Michael Keaton kept a running tally of flubs made by actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were going to take a guess, Talia, who made the, I have a list, I have the most, the person who made the most and the person who made the least amount of mistakes, who would you say? And this is across the major mm-hmm. sporting and leading actors. Uh... Uh, the only clue I'll give you, Edward Norton and Michael Keaton aren't them. Oh, okay. Hmm, that throws me off then. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to remember who else is in the film. Well, th- this is it exactly. Yeah. Let me see. I bet the most flubs were from Zach Galifianakis. Okay, and then who's the least? Emma Stone. Well, I'm proud to say to you, you're an idiot. You got it mixed up. It's the opposite. Oh, I actually had a little, I had a moment of doubt, but I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's I'm the- going to confirm it. Yeah. Which? Always doubt yourself. Uh, Emma Stone made the most mistakes. Zach Galifianakis made the fewest. He actually did mess up a few lines during the film, but played his mistakes off well enough that the shots were included in the film. Of course he did. Of course he did. And then the final fun fact, similar to Michael Keaton's Birdman, uh, reflects on his earlier role as Batman. Edward Norton's character is a parody of Norton's own reputation for being very abrasive and difficult to work with. Huh. Yeah, which doesn't shock me at all. I thought he was superb and a very brave performance by Michael Keaton as well. But I felt Michael Keaton had more to gain from it because although his character is arrogant and obviously he's looking at the Batman stuff, it's also a very... He could distance himself a bit from it too, and it makes him a very in- it makes Michael Keaton seem more interesting as a person. Yeah. While this, we just saw Ed Norton. We're like, he's an absolute prick, but he is a prick. He has he has like, you know, he has his own self doubts. He's the reason he does it as well. Like he he's the only person who can play that off as well as he did Edward Norton. And I he is a knob, but I love him. I absolutely love him. But yes, on your number one scene, what is your standout scene from this film? I have to say it's the one in the dressing room with Emma Stone. Which part? What? He like really goes wild and screams at him and they have their big fight. Yes. I, I absolutely, that is the part that got me. That was like the turn, like not even say the turning point, but that was the scene where I was hooked in where she said. Raw. So, and she's like, you're getting what we all get that, that we don't matter. That Mm -hmm. you don't matter. And I was like, oh my God, this is. This is painful. Do you know, this is pain. That's it, yeah. I was I was thinking the exact same thing. This is my chance to finally do some work that actually means something. It means something to who? You had a career, Dad, before the third comic book movie. Before people started to forget who was inside that bird costume. 
You were doing a play based on a book that was written 60 years ago for a thousand rich old white people whose only real concern is going to be where they go to have their cake and coffee when it's over. Nobody gives a shit but you. And let's face it, Dad, you are not doing this for the sake of art. You are doing this because you want to feel relevant again. Well, guess what? There is an entire world out there where people fight to be relevant every single day, and you act like it doesn't exist. Things are happening in a place that you ignore, a place that, by the way, has already forgotten about you. I mean, who the fuck are you? You hate bloggers. You mock Twitter. You don't even have a Facebook page. You're the one who doesn't exist. You're doing this because you're scared to death, like the rest of us, that you don't matter. And you know what? You're right. You don't. It's not important, okay? You're not important. Get used to it. I think it's the most visceral for me. And I mean, there's also something about the, this is like a very close second, but the lights turning on on the stage. Because there's just something it's yeah. like a second, but yes. when they're on stage, the lights switch on. You're like, ah, but I think that's just sort of a <laughs> reflex. Yeah. There was some as well on like for me, yeah, hands down that scene. And I don't know how Emma Stone didn't win the Oscar for this and won the Oscar for, um, what was up? Um, everything with I'm not even sure who won best supporting actress the year. This year, in the year that she didn't win, but like I don't know how she didn't win because she was and won for La La Land the following year. But she was mm. magnificent in this film. Again, I didn't get that character until I watched it recently, a bit older. But I had a point to make. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I I loved, like little details when they the actor is terrible. Like the very beginning when the supporting actor that Edward Norton comes in to replace is terrible. Yeah. And you can see and Michael Keaton is looking up to the ceiling and looking down and looking up and looking down. I, and I was like, I know what's going to happen because I've never seen it before. But I was like, am I supposed to notice this? Right. And the light hits the character in the head and then he's gone. And I'm just like, and he's like, I did that with my mind. I'm like, did he do that? Like, how did he, how did he plan that to happen? Do you know, because he, he is losing his mind. Like he is, he like, obviously he sees the bird man and like he, he thinks he's, uh, has superpowers as well. Like he's, when he's smashing everything up. And what do you think, uh, we're going to theories, happens at the end of the film? Oh, gosh. Is he dead? Or is he... I mean... I I think my first instinct was that he was dead. Mm. But my second is that just he, he's not. Really? Like, I mean, I think there's something to it in that like for me, and maybe I'm just getting way too artsy metaphorical about it, but I feel like that is more so like his, either like his career or his soul ending Mm. and not him. Yeah. Because I think there's also something in the whole film and story that leads you to believe that, well, yes, sometimes we have our downfall, we have our peaks and this and that. We don't get to end. Oh. It's kind of really dark to say. Yeah. in that sense of this part ends, but that's not your entire life. I really like that. And that is a very, I actually, that's a very uplifting ending to the one like where, like I just figured out oh, he's just dead because everything worked out perfect for him. Uh, wonderful reviews. And then he flies off. But the fact that it's just that his life as the man he was is done. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a much 
much nicer ending. And I'm I'm completely on board with that. As the, maybe I just prefer that ending. So I, I, I prefer that ending too. So I'm going to take it and all the listeners are going to take it as well. A fun fact, actually, the ending, the original ending was going to be Regan shoots himself. It cuts to black and then it fades up and it's the beginning of the film again. Like all the same cuts and everything. But it's a Pirates of the Caribbean poster on the wall. It's Jack Sparrow's voice and it's, it's Johnny Depp in that Birdman, Jack Sparrow, and it's just like a rinse and repeat of with different, yeah. Uh, and, and he was asked, Why didn't you do that ending? And he was like, Because it's not very good. And I was like, Fair enough. But I was like, that's a, I'd love to shot that just to get Johnny Depp in. Okay, that's confirmed. Birdman is in fourth place, but to finish this little segment, Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance won Best Picture, but it was nominated alongside American Sniper, Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel. The Imitation Game, Selma, The Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. From those films, whether you've seen any of them or whether you've seen one or two of them or just Birdman, did Birdman deserve to win Best Picture over those? I've seen quite a few of those, actually. I mean, okay, sorry. So you named Theory of Everything, uh, Whiplash. It's American Sniper, Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Imitation Game, Selma, The Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. Wow. I think the only movie I haven't seen of that list is Selma. Hmm. I do think it deserved to win, actually. Yeah. I do, and because of how, I think because of how unique it was. Yeah. Well, yes, Boyhood is definitely one that can compete in that category in terms of, like, how something is developed. But, I mean, as a film, if you're going to compare Boyhood and Birdman, you yeah. can't really, yeah. like, Birdman is the obvious winner in that case. Hmm. Because it's just, as a work of art, it's so impactful. Yeah so clean and cut and precise in these ways that boyhood story-wise kind of while well, yeah. interesting, it just kind of lacked for me at least that sense of story and um oh what am i thinking of stakes yeah it lacked i think stakes that birdman had i think boyhood is an achievement as a film yeah. Like yeah. over the course of filming over 12 years but like birdman for me after seeing it now, like I did not, I thought actually when the initial list came out, I felt that Whiplash had won Best Picture. But watching Birdman now, it's it's the best film and the most impactful film. And no one no one goes back and watches Boyhood, but people will like go back and watch Birdman. Actually, sorry, a scene that stood out for me in Birdman. It's only a second in it actually. It's when he leaves the theater after the last um, when he just has the row with the. The reviewer who she's like, I'm going to tank your film. Yes. Uh, yeah. And he's leaving, and there's the Macbeth uh, soliloquy. Oh, like, yeah. Going, and he's, he's buying the, the whiskey and he's going on the drums and everything. And he's just walking by. And then the guy is just performing on the street and he turns and looks at him. He goes, um, Was that too much? I can tone it down. I just want to be seen. I just want to get into the room. And you're like, Oh my God, this doesn't turn off. Do you know, yeah. it's, the hustle keeps going no matter what. And again, that just got me. That just got me. But Birdman uh, comes in fourth place, not because of the nature of these. It doesn't get a bronze medal, but it has got a best picture. So I think they'll be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. They so do. we can put straight that. So bronze medal. I'm going to take a wild guess. I'm not going to say that loud, but I have a feeling I know which one is going to go to bronze. We'll try to say it at the same time, okay? Okay. Okay. Three, two, one. Argo. Yes. There we yes. go. 
Yes, and in case our mics cut out there because we spoke at the same time, we both said Argo. Yeah, I figured it would be this film. Argo is about uh, acting under the cover of Hollywood producer scouting a location for a science fiction film. A CIA, CIA agent launches a dangerous operation to rescue six Americans in Tehran during the US hostage crisis in Iran in 1979. Argo won three Oscars and was nominated for a further... For the four, so it was nominated for seven altogether, winning three. It won 96 awards out of 150 nominations across all the major uh, award ceremonies. And of course, it won Best Picture in 2013. Of the other two films, two wins it has, uh, what would you say there? Wait, sorry, I, I didn't quite hear that. It got one three Oscars, uh, mm-hmm. one for Best Picture. Could you take a, a stab at what the other two were? Right. Um, uh, best Screenplay? Yes. Best stop screenplay, but yes. Finally. Um, and uh, best director. No, you fool. It's one for best editing. <laughs> oh, best. Uh, it actually, uh, Ben Affleck, I think someone will prove me wrong. I should have this fact here. If he, he, I think, was the first film ever to win Best Picture where the director wasn't at least nominated for, really? for Best Director. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I was he very was a bit surprised that he didn't get nominated for Best Director. I am too, to be honest. I, I personally, I would have, I would have put this film as as my bottom, and I, I think, I think it's a very good film. Sorry, this isn't about me. Delia, no, take, I, take I, like if I, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this now, but no. even before you made that comment, no, before you made that comment, Joe. Yeah. After talking. This is the first time I've ever talked about Birdman with another artist. <laughs> so it's just striking me, like, as we were speaking about it, I was like, wow, no, it, like, had way deeper of an impact to me than I thought. And I think I was partially skewed by the fact that I just watched Argo for the first time. I will do it off record, but I'd likely switch the two. Okay. Well, we'll continue with this, but we'll all know that Talia is wrong. That's okay. good. As long as we can all agree on that. How I really um, feel. Actually, I meant to ask this for Birdman as well, if you'd already seen that. Prior to watching Argo, was there anything you knew about it before? No, no, not at all. Hmm. I actually Uh, thought it was... um, Oh, I mean, I always just confused it with Fargo, but I also (laughs) thought it was like a robot thing. Oh, my God. Okay, you really did. (laughs) No, Argo, Argo was definitely the film I knew the least about. Okay. Yeah, I did not watch it, but I remember like the only fact I knew is that Ben Affleck wasn't nominated for an Oscar. But I I watched it actually on a plane going somewhere oh, long distance because that's not helpful. yeah, and I was kind of like falling asleep and waking up, and then at one point I was just kind of like halfway there, and it just goes boo boo. You are now entering Iran, and I was like, what? And I was, oh, oh, right. Yeah, I was like, oh, right. Oh, the film. Yeah. So that, that was the main standout for this for me. But with Argo, what, what did you like about this film? I think, I mean, little shout out to Canada. Because I read the description beforehand and I was like, oh, the Canadian caper. Because I had heard about that hmm. at some point just because, you know, it, it probably came to me in some news article or something. Yeah. I really, I do like that kind of thriller drama like generally that kind of film really does appeal to me quite a bit I think part of it for me was just the story I was a bit blown away by how sort of wild it was that that was even like the 
fact that they did all of that is just a bit maddening to me. And I mean, they also just did such a beautiful job of building um, in the sort of escape part of building that tension Mm. and building to the point of like, are they going to get out and this and that. And then just seeing the, the cleverness, I think, was really appealing to me of the people that were involved in the mission. Yeah. And like, especially in the airport. Oh, I'll, I'll wait for the scenes. Okay. I, for me, like, like this is not actually, we've gone two films in. It was funny, actually. I just realized out of all these four films, none of the actors. No, I just, never mind. I was going to say none of the actors won uh, a best actor, like or a best supporting actor, but actually 12, no, but 12 years as a slave did actually win. If I were to guess any of them that someone won Best Actor, it would actually have been 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, but that was Best Supporting Actor. Uh, best Supporting Actress, uh, she won for that. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that in the slime. But uh, Argo and Birdman, no one won a performance. And actually, in Argo, there was there was only one person nominated for a Best, and his Best Supporting was Alan Arkin, which, to be honest, I was a bit surprised about. I feel the like there was no... yeah. There was no kind of, I would say, and this is a, not a negative towards the film, but there was no, for me, standout performance because I felt like, as an ensemble, the cast were spectacular. Yeah. And and, uh, and the script is just, I want to eat it. It's so good. It's like, very tight. Like, I think that so, was yeah. so sharp. Yeah. So sharp, so clever. And humour where it needed to be. Um, drama where it needed to be. Like, um, just for that, for me, like, the script over anything is why it got to where it needs to be. And the editing, sorry, no, everything had won. Um, we'll get to, we'll talk about if it deserved to win Best Picture later on. The two had won outside that, like, definitely deserved to win. Yeah. Um, and I didn't actually mention, sorry, it won Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Achievement in Film, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Alan Arkin, um, Alexander De- De Plas, uh, for was nominated for Original Score, Sound Mixing uh, with John D. Wrights, uh, Greg Rudloff, Jose Antonio Garcia for sound mixing and best achievement in sound editing, Eric and and Hal. These names are so hard. Uh, Ethan van der Rijn, um, nominated for best sound editing. And that, across the board, yeah. Those don't surprise me because one of actually the main appeals was how powerful the sound was. Yes. It was like another character in that film. And that, I mean, I this is also just personally, I'm such a sucker for good sound. Mm. And that's sort of what like kept me. Uh, there's something so visceral about it that adds to already a tight script. And actually, you said best adaptation. What yes. was it adapted from? Was it from a, uh, a book? It, it doesn't actually say, but I presume it was. Uh, you said the Canadian caper, didn't you? Yeah. Is that what? It was? Like, I'm just wondering if it was adapted from like a book that was written about that, or an article, or just the story, right? I'll actually. I will check now. I feel. It was, I feel there was a book. I think your man, Tony, is it Tony Mendez? I think he wrote a book. Oh, okay. I feel when, obviously when he retired and was all, he was allowed to do that. You know, historical screenwriter. Adapted a book by, yeah, by uh, Tony Mendez, The oh. Master of Disguise. Hmm. Uh, and a 2007 Wired article by Joshua Berman, The Great Escape. Uh, how the CIA used a fake sci-fi flick to rescue Americans from Tehran. And the latter deals with Canadian caper. Yeah, it's kind of like a mix of a few things, but mainly the book, I think. That's why it's adapted screenplay. So before we get into... Yeah, but I completely agree with you. I think 
the performance didn't need to stand out because the editing, the the sound, the the way it was shot, um, and of course the screenplay were the real thing that's shown in it, and it was mm-hmm. for for me. That's what, especially the final, probably from the moment they leave, maybe from the moment they leave their house to get on the plane. I feel that's where it got bumped up. For me, I was like, this is a really good film. I was like, I'm enjoying this and like that, but it didn't feel special. But like when they were on their way to the airport, when they're going through like the crowds and stuff like that, I am like, this is so intense. And you're like, just like, um, uh, you know, Barney in New York, and uh, like when we like when you weren't sure if it's going to work out, you know, is are they going to get the red rainbow, whatever you said it was? But like, you know, I knew, I obviously I knew they got away, but like I feel like my heart is pumping out of my chest. Yeah, like, like I won't lie, I was bawling at the end like not bawling like like crying like ah, but like i was tears because i was like this is so intense this is yeah. so and I, I felt the relief of all of them and they all really cared but here's sorry here's some fun facts ben affleck has stated that the production was granted unprecedented access to the cia headquarters both for interiors and exteriors and the gratitude for that privilege belongs to tony mendez the retired cia officer portrayed by affleck in the film the Iranian official seen on the archive footage at the end of the film issuing dire threats against Canada for the role in the rescue was later executed by the regime he served. None of the scenes were filmed that were filmed were actually shot in Iran. And I had another one uh, it's gone somewhere, but he there was a lot of flack that obviously Ben Affleck isn't of um, Latino heritage and played uh, Men, Tony Mendes, who is. And there was obviously a lot of flack over that, but Tony Mendez gave him his blessing because he said he was the perfect person to play the role. So hmm. I suppose that's the only, you know, you know, if it's done that way, then that's yeah. fair enough. But for you, what is your standout scene? Standout scene is when they're being questioned in the airport just before they board the plane. Yes. And um, one of the people who was held captive starts speaking in Iranian and pulls out all the, the photos and stuff. Yeah. And they have that moment. And then when, I mean, it's just so, I mean, for me, it was really, really unexpected because it was kind of a, like, you can go one way or the other. And there was just something about the way he committed to his choice. Where he was like, this is what we're going to do. And I'm going to take on this role. Yeah. And just, and I mean, it's one of those things where I think I was trying to separate the idea of like, yes, this actor is obviously going to be very good at acting like an actor, yeah. an arts person now. But knowing that that wasn't the case at all, but how daring it is to actually do that mm. and so convincingly commit. And then the moment when they're leaving and they leave the um, pictures as a souvenir for them. Yes. There was something about that that I found very, even though they're like <laughs> deceiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to escape. There was something very genuine about that moment mm. and that, move me and then there's just that whole build up while they're on the plane and getting there and like you know the finding out and they're running back and they're freaking out and it's I mean it's a wild ride and it's a long they hold you in that state of tension for a long time a long time like, I, like if you're a, yeah. a moment you are on a bit of a like, it must be like 10-15 minutes of just like, in yeah. city you're like oh, ah. yeah for me, like I in that scene, for whatever reason, I couldn't get the subtitles to work. So I was, I was like, "What are they saying? What like?" Because I felt like I was one of the car- like one of the um, like the actual people there. Because like they're screaming yeah. like Iranian, 
and like one of your guys can speak it and like I'm like and you're like what are they what are they saying what are they, like are we are we gonna die yeah. you know and and then the whole thing when he when he calls uh, Alan Arkin and John Goodman um, obviously not them but their characters and they charge to and they're trying to get back to pick up the phone at the right yeah. time and like I'm like oh my god again you obviously know what we're going to but like it's edited so well that you are you're you're lost for a second in it yeah um, sir he's a journalist no no a documentary niece it's a film film uh, I would, I would say that that scene as well. Also, what I loved is, is Scoot McNary, the character he plays the whole way through it. He's like against everything. And it's almost like you're kind of like, oh, stop being a coward, man. Jesus Christ. But you're like, but he doesn't know that you're not going to immediately go out and be killed. Like people are dying everywhere. There's people hanging everywhere. And he is the one that got them over the line when like by explaining the great detail about the film. And I'm just like that again, just beautiful uh, foreshadowing that and how it was all played. So I when I say that scene as well. Um, I think so. I think definitely. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it kind of sums up everything. It sums up the tension of being in that moment, mm-hmm. and and even I would even give the release at the end when they when they're true and everyone gets clear and it's just like applause going around and people yeah. hugging and just I'm just like that, that like I was like ah you know so interesting because the simplicity of that moment and just saying we can now serve alcoholic beverages because we yes. are the someone and ah oh, you great yeah. because of alcohol but if only you knew yeah. Oh, I know. And then they're all cheering. And then I could, I was there thinking, like, what about people like, yeah, on that plane are looking around going, what? It's only, yeah, it's only like a bit of vodka you can get, you know? I will say there was, I did have a moment while watching it where I was like, the people on the plane would be reacting to this. They would yeah, be yeah. weirded out by everyone getting up and sitting up and clapping and cheering. And <laughs> like, that's not normal. The yeah. actors should have been given a bit more direction. Yeah. In my humble opinion. Because there is that moment where you're like, oh, wouldn't they be questioning why all these people are so excited? (laughs) (laughs) Drinks. Raging alcoholics, that's what they are. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that scene, 
in its entirety. Adam American get nominated. I, to be honest, I don't know why he was. It must have been a weak year for supporting actors. I think he's a phenomenal actor. I don't think he stood out mm-hmm. too much. If if I'm being if I'm being, I don't like his, his. It wasn't like this really sad story that was happening on the side. He was. I think yeah. he was even below supporting actor. He's as much as John Goodman. So he was really good, but like I didn't feel he he deserved the best supporting nomination. But come at me in the comments if you want. So it's gotten a mix of third and fourth place. We'll give it a bronze, half a bronze medal anyway. Ergo, but in the year that it won Best Picture, it was nominated alongside Amour, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Les Miserables, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty. Did Argo deserve to win Best Picture that year? That's such an array of films. Yes, it is. I did not realize that until I was just looking out there. Huh. Who? Which have you seen there? I've seen, but you're going to have to list them again, but I've seen, I only remember the last one. I've seen Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. Lincoln, Life of Pi, Les Miserables, uh, Django Unchained, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Amour, and Argo. Okay, so I've seen Les Mis. <laughs> yeah. Um, haven't seen Life of Pi, have seen Django Unchained. I'm surprised Django Unchained didn't win. Yeah, I think it's because of Tarantino and mm. what he did with that, you know, with the topic of slavery. I think that was a bit. Yeah, like uh, I, yeah. I, I can understand, but it. I w- but like to be honest, I would also say I think Argo won because it's about filmmakers w- saving the world. You know, it's and it's a true story. So like, I, I, if I'm being completely honest, well, what what would you? If you're going to pick one that you've seen there, would you stick with Ergo or would you give it to someone else? Oh, I mean, it's kind of, it's not to say that it's a weak year of films, but it's a weird year of films. Mm. I mean, I think I'd stick with Argo only kind of because it's what I've seen most recently. That's Um, recency bias. For me, I... I would put Argo like halfway down the list. I think it's a very good film, probably deserved to be nominated, but I would put, I think Life of Pi, I've only seen it once, but Life of Pi is a game-changing film. I feel like had I seen more, I'd be able to, Yeah. Prop- I, don't, I, uh, I don't feel great in properly assessing it just because I haven't actually yeah. seen any of those films except for like Silver Lines Playbook and Les Mis. Yeah. No, that, yeah. You can't really compare them. Not really. Like it's hard to compare any film in the first place but I would give for for me I would say I'd put Argo way down the list I'd put Life of Pi one best director that year for um, Ang Lee um, I'd put Django Chain ahead of it I'd put Silver Lines Playbook ahead of it Lincoln is boring but has a great performance I'd and then the others I haven't seen I don't think but I would definitely give Life of Pi over Argo but hey you picked Argo. That's not a problem. So now we move on to the silver medal section. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is now, uh, like I, I said, I know I said before with Birdman, with another film, but I, Spotlight is the most recent film I've watched of this. And the third time I've watched it, I've seen 12 Years of Slave twice. And I feel you've got, for me, Argo, I thought I was going to put Argo for it, but that's just me anyway. Like, well for it. But hey, you know, he's strong. Like, I, I think it's so difficult to predict between the, those three films, Birdman, 12 Years of Slave, and Spotlight, but mm-hmm. even these two especially. So I'm excited to hear. I think I know which way you'll go, but I want to hear it. Okay. Who's your silver medal? 12 Years a Slave. Oh, right. Okay, okay. 
and 12 Years a Slave in the antebellum United States, uh, Solomon Norfolk, free black man from upstate New York, is abducted and sold into slavery. 12 Years a Slave won three Oscars, was nominated for 335 awards from around the world, winning 239. For the three that had won, can you take a stab at what they were? Well, I know one Best Supporting Actor because you love it. Yeah. Damn. Oh, wait. And it won three besides Best Picture? Sorry. Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, and one more. Okay. Um, ooh, Best Director? No. That went to... Hold on. Let me check what else was nominated that year because... Gravity. Gravity won that year, which it shouldn't have. Oh. Uh, yeah. That's but a yeah. weird choice. Yeah, I know. It's just because it's shot in space. It was just an awkward shoot. It did not deserve to win it. Great look. Uh, Asfonso Caron is a phenomenal filmmaker, but it doesn't hold... Gravity doesn't hold up as well, narrative-wise, as any of these films. Uh, it won for Best Adapted Screenplay, John Ridley. And we said Lupita Nyong'o won for Best Supporting Actor in her first film role. I mean, without uh, question, that was... Superb. Um, it got nominated for Best Sporting, sorry, Best Actor, uh, which Chewy Tell Edgeo for, Best Sporting Actor, Michael Fassbender, uh, Costume Design, Patricia Norris, Best Achievement in Directing, Best Director, obviously, Steve McQueen, Film Editing, Joe Walker, and Best Achievement in Production Design, Adam Stockhausen and Alice Baker. Other than Chewy Edgeo for and Lupita Nyonga, those names are far easier to read out. Like, I'm just saying, okay, it's not that I'm getting better reading them out, it's just the names are easier to pronounce. And I, I was more scared about pronouncing Chewy, Chewy Tail Edgy of all day. So I'm glad I'm getting through it well enough. So 12 Years a Slave, yeah. I, first time you watched it during the week. What Did you yeah. know anything about it before seeing it? I did. I'd seen, I'd seen clips of it, and I think it's one that I'd... It's me. I'm not really. I actually think I probably saw like a bit of a scene or something when someone else was watching it, mm. because there were moments that were familiar. I'd never actually taken the time to sit down and watch the full thing. I knew a fair amount about it, just in terms of like I'd read quite a bit when it came mm. out. Mm. Um, so like knew it was a true story, knew the whole idea around it, but then mm. to actually see it on screen and the way they set it up, I found really, really enticing. Yeah. I think, personally, I think 12 Years a Slave was robbed at this Oscars because it is, it won three. It deserved Best Director. Yeah, should have won. It got nominated for a nice amount. Should have won Best Actor. Should have won Best Director. My uh, What's his name? Won for Best Actor. Uh, Renaissance. McCon- the McConaissance. Michael, uh, Matthew McConaughey won for Best Actor. And then... Jared Leto won for Best Supporting Actor. I could see an argument there for Fassbender, sorry, for going to Fassbender or Jared Leto, but Chewie Edger for was was this film. And this this is, I think, out of all these films, this is the film that will, like, really stand the test of time. Yeah. More so than any any of the other films. Like, this film will be shown to kids in yeah. in 20 years time i like it or if it, even if it isn't now so i think it was it was robbed at these awards i don't think they should have gotten a nomination for cinematography i just realized that they never did yeah that the way this film was shot i was just literally just about to say that because Stephen queen comes from an artist's background like he was not so much a painter but like um what is the word a fi- well a filmmaker like an art house sort of filmmaker but there were so many scenes that are that feel like they're paintings you know like there's the like obviously we'll get into favorite scenes but when he when um um 
Solomon Norfolk, what is his name in it? Again, they make uh, Platt, <laughs> which embrace, I think he is Platt at this stage, where he's being hung and he's just <laughs> left there. And then life is just happening around him. Mm-hmm. And he's just hanging there and it's forever. The way he shoots Stephen Green, he lets these moments linger. Like it happens a few times when something graphic happens. He doesn't let you have a second where you can get away. He is like, this happened and you were living it. You were mm-hmm. seeing it. These happened to people and you were seeing it. Whenever I think about this, because there's a part of me is like, oh, slavery didn't happen because I am from Ireland. I grew up in Ireland. We are taught about this but not to any great extent. I'm not sure what it's like in Canada. I'm not even sure what it's like in the States, to be honest. So when I see stuff like this and I see the brutality of what these people went through, I am there's still a, like a part of me going, well, this is a movie. This didn't really happen, you know? But then you see, like, he, like, Steve McQueen, like, I remember thinking as well, I made comparisons between this and um, The Passion of the Christ. But the only comparisons I can really make is Passion of Christ is a far inferior film to this. And like 12 Years of Slave is, is a, a fair telling of what happened during this time. But like he, there's nothing held back. You were, show, you were being shown, Mel Gibson was doing his best to show what happened to Jesus. While Steve McQueen is showing what happened to millions of, of black people yeah. uh, around the world. And like, I think my problem is when I was watching this, I was like, the small part of my brain is like, there was no way this could happen to people, you know, and be so open and be so happening. Like just for whatever, 300, 400 years, whatever it was. So that's why I think there was a, a problem with me getting into it. But when I watched it the other night, I was like, this is just so horrific. <laughs> what is happening to this man? What happened to this yeah. man? And, and to so many other people. And like, like we were saying, like with how it's shot and with like, what what is your standout performance for this? Standout performance. Oh gosh. I mean, it's that's not really a fair question. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm making the questions. That's not a nice question to ask. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot, but I mean, and I mean I will have uh oh the actor that plays Solomon. Uh Chewy Chewy Tell Ejiofor. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to totally butcher that pronunciation, but yes. I mean, it's just unbelievable what he does in that role. Yeah. How you go from, it's just so real. And how he goes from the beginning and shows the work and the passion and like the compassion that he has for the other people that he meets yeah. as well. I mean, especially Lupita Nyong's character when they have that moment when he's leaving, like, and I won't talk about that too much because I have to later. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. I mean, there's. I'm shocked he didn't win. Yeah, uh, Matthew McConaughey won Best Actor that year. Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club, which is a great performance. But again, this but like they're on, to get they're on different levels. Yeah, so completely and utterly. Mm-hmm. I again, I think it's because Matthew McConaughey had a lot of like he's an established, he's a Hollywood guy, you know. Yeah, uh, Chewy Edge of Four is is British. And both of them nominated for the first time, but Matthew McConaughey had the reconnaissance behind them. And that was like his arc was to finish it by winning an Oscar, I guess. Yeah. Because it sounds better. But this script is one of the few times I like, well, not one of the few times, but when, I, when I'm when i listening to language like this, I'm like, how can someone write so accurately and so intuitively of what it was like at the time? Do you know? Like, it's... 
and and be clever and be witty in that it feels like a completely different language mm-hmm. that these people are speaking. But the fact that John Ridley is able to do that because I remember there was murder. And I remember this at the Oscars because Ridley was the only one given writing credits, but Steve McQueen oh. felt he should have been. And yeah. it went to the Writers Guild and everything, and they said, no, it's just John Ridley's film. So if you look back at when John Ridley wins the, the, the Oscar, mm-hmm. I don't think he's, I, I'm not sure if he thanks Steve McQueen, but when it cuts to Steve McQueen, he is doing the limpest clap ever. I, I'll do it so you can see it now. Obviously, you guys can't, but it's literally like this. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's so bitchy. So I mean, when you, but when you look at it, something like that as well, when it comes to credits and like who's contributed to what, mm. for something that you clearly put so much work and artistry into, yeah, it does feel like a bit of um a shaft to be to not be included in that. I absolutely, yeah, I I would agree, and I think especially for the the nature of the script, which is one of the most beautiful scripts written. Ever so yeah, we're gonna to get to the before we get into the uh, Talia's favorite scene from the the film. I'm gonna give you a couple of fun facts. Or actually, there's no fun facts in this film. I'm just gonna give you facts. <laughs> um, the tree where Solomon sees several men being lynched was actually used for lynching and is surrounded by the graves of murdered slaves. At first, uh, Chewie tell Edgy for turned down Steve McQueen's offer to play the leading role of Solomon Norfolk, but then realized that he had to get over his initial fear of taking on what McQueen thought would be the role of the actor's lifetime. Ejiofor prepared for his role by immersing himself in the Louisiana plantation culture and learning how to play the violin. Steve McQueen disclosed on the Colbert Report that when Solomon Norfolk's autobiography, 12 Years a Slave, was first published in 1853, it sold terribly due to other more popular books being released around the same time. Hmm. He also said that the interest in the film has generated, that the film has generated, has put the book back on the bestsellers list. Yeah. So but, as you're we saying, what is your scene for this, from this one? Well, the scene is when the, the carriage comes up and they're looking for yes. him. People are looking oh. for him. And then there's just, it's almost like a, for me at least, the way he played that scene, it seemed as if he couldn't hear or see anything else. There was just sort of this laser focus of, Yes, here we go. I'm going here. Like, I don't care. I am getting on to that. I'm going back to my life. Mr. Paul. Say again? Mr. Paul. The man received a letter compiling many accusations. You look me in the eye. And on your life, you answer me truthfully. Have you any other name than Platt? Solomon Northup is my name. Sheriff, that's all this. It's official business. My nigga, my business. Your business waits. Tell me of your family. Platt. I have a wife, two children. What the hell? What are your children's names? Margaret and Alonzo. What was your wife's name before her marriage? Ann Hampton, I am who I say. Where are you going, Platt? Who authorized you to interfere with my property? My authority. That you come back here. Platt, you come back here, boy. You will unhand him. That is my nigga. He is Mr. Solomon North. You say you come here unfamiliar to me and make claims. Not no doubt. The man is Solomon North. The hell he is. He's my nigga. And I'll fight you for him. As is your right. As it will be my pleasure to bankrupt you in the courts. Your decision. Unhand him. And then he has this moment where he sees Lupita Nyong's character. And they have that moment of... I mean, that was one of the moments that I really stopped and thought, what are you going to do? Are you going to try to bring her with you? Are you going to stay? 
but then obviously it's not even a question. He goes, but they have that goodbye. And there's this understanding between the two of them of this is where I need to go. Hmm. And it's so devastating. But there was also a part of me that wondered in the way that they said goodbye. I was like, is he going to try to help her? Is something like, what is their future going to be? Or is that the end of their relationship? And I think that's also an idea that's really heartbreaking to think of is the fact that that could be the last time they ever see each other. Do you want to know something incredibly heartbreaking, which I own, because the first time I saw this film, I only realized I have the list in front of me of all the nominated films that year. Mm -hmm. I watched this film alongside two other films in one day, the day of the Oscars. So I could have seen all the best pictures films. It's the only time I've ever seen every one of them leading up to it. So I missed a few things. So when I was rewatching it last week, you will notice that as soon as it's, it's focusing on Solomon's face, and you can see Hatsy in the background is just a blur, but she, she collapses. <gasps> right, right at that moment. And there's a little gasp, I know. There's a gasp you can hear as well, but it kind of gets mixed up, so you only kind of hear it once you notice her um, uh, Patsy faint. And that is basically, she's dead. I, I What I took it as anyway, oh, is that she wow. died. Because if you could see that maybe Solomon was her like last hope, because mm-hmm. whatever way you want to put it. But that scene, I've... Like I, even though I've only seen this film once prior to seeing it last week, I do frequently go to that scene because mm. I know the pain that goes through that film and to just sort of get that like cathartic release of seeing someone, a good man, a, a man who's done nothing wrong, being freed mm-hmm. from captivity, we'll say, but I know it's far worse than all that. It's, it's just, and the way it's shot as well, when he sees his friend standing there and then wow. do you know do, and he, I love the way he goes he goes do you, do you know this man and then you see him standing there with top hat and then over his right shoulder you see Michael Fassbender's coming out and standing there and you're like oh my god it's so beautifully framed mm-hmm. and then and then like you were saying I remember I think the first time I saw it I the yeah so other scenes that were that really stood out if anyone is wondering there might have been like a leap or something like that or a change in energy my internet just broke down for about 10 minutes so i can't remember where we were uh, so something to do it was that lovely scene at the end i know that we uh, was chosen as the best scene mm-hmm. by talia um other scenes that stand out as well are for me like when he's been hung again like there's no mm. that is the only kind of good scene that is nice do you know what i mean that is Right. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I the scene. Call it nice, and I wouldn't call it good by any means. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. And then the scene where he leaves, where he gets off. Yeah, yeah. I will say, if I can add, like a very close second scene. Yes. Well, no, it's it's so different. Like I wouldn't compare it to the first scene by any means. But the scene where he's convincing. Rapid. Um, yeah. No, no, no. Michael Fassbender's character. I can't oh, remember yeah. the name now. But when he convinced when he convinces him that he didn't actually write the letter, yes, and that the other guy was lying, like it was just mm. that was fire. I remember that happening, and I was like, "Oh no, it's the end of you, man. This is the end." Yeah, and that came up, and I was like, "Oh, that skill, that like," and it was just so. I mean, I loved that scene too because it just showed how deeply intelligent and cunning he was. Mm, mm. 
and also how determined he was to make it out. And I think that was something that it, it was very tell. It was a, a really great character moment. Yes. I, that yeah. story and where that motivation lied and what yeah. were, but, Oh, it was such a good scene. Like it was so, was yeah. Kind of audibly like cheering along. Yes. No, you guys. <laughs> you I absolutely loved like Michael Fassbender as well at this as being like evil, but like obsessed with Lupita Nyong'o's Patsy as well. Um, mm-hmm. Like he he wasn't just a, a you know a mustache twirling villain. Like he was a bad evil man, and mm-hmm. but like you could tell he everywhere he was coming from was like a good place. You know, not a good place, but like in his heart, he was like, I am doing what I is right because he did not see he saw them as his property and that was just it and he did whatever he wanted with them the scene where he rapes Lupita Nyong'o is incredibly difficult to watch and again Steve McQueen does not pull away he does not let you he just he just doesn't show you bring him bringing her somewhere and you know what's going to happen he shows you what happened what what happened to these people I like it every night and um and as well as that like when it was just one dark bit I picked up as well when he was holding the little girl mm. in his hand, you know, where everyone came back and you're like, you know what's going to happen yeah. to her as well, you know? It's it's such a diff... Like, again, it, that's maybe because it's so horrible. That's why I felt I just... It was so hard to see that it would actually... These things happened. And that's why I'm thankful that Steve McQueen made this film so the world knows. And as well, with Lupita Nyong'o, when she went... Where she got whipped for getting the... She just oh. won the bar of soap. That's how she won her Oscar. That that scene itself, like her entire performance, is magical. But like that scene where she's like, "I just wanted to smell clean. I just wanted to be clean." Like impossible film, impossible film. Like to grasp your head around it. And, and I mean, um, I think that's actually part of why I find it to be a very difficult film to sort of judge or rate. Yeah, because it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, I. I mean, first of all, to be honest, I also don't necessarily feel it's my place to judge mm. it or rate it in a lot of ways. I'm very grateful for um, being able to be a witness to this story and being able to see the artistry coming from these people that have created this really powerful, moving, yeah. visceral, poignant piece. And I think that there's something that... And I think it's something special about very particular films that, you know, because a lot of films we'll look at and we'll critique and we'll judge, but I think there are certain films that you just see. Yeah. If that makes sense. And for me, this was one where I was like, I am a witness to this film. Yeah. And mm-hmm. all I can do is really kind of consider it. And then it also is one of those ones that motivates you to do more research and become more involved and do all that you can to not just be a witness to a film and allow it to impact you and influence how you behave and act and pushes you to further educate yourself. Yeah. I I completely agree with you. I feel like this film is is more than just a film. It is it feel it's history come to life, and that's why maybe it would it's not as great as a movie, 
but it's also something that needs to be seen and like you said needs to be witnessed and needs needs all the eyes on it possible and in saying that I, I feel it will I'm not sure which of these it was nominated it obviously won Best Picture and it was nominated alongside American Hustle Captain Phillips Dallas Buyers Club Gravity Her Nebraska Philomena and The Wolf of Wall Street did it deserve to win Best Picture yeah 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 100% out of doubt to be fair, like, I mean, I, I haven't actually seen a lot on the list. I've only seen Gravity, hilariously enough. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, I saw Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, sorry, what were the other ones? Philomena, Nebraska, Her, Gravity, Davis Buyers Club, Captain Phillips, American Hostel, and The Wolf of Wall Street. Her. Her was the yeah. only other one that I saw. It was Her, Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. and Gravity. Her is um, beautiful them. I mean, compared to those three. Yeah. Certainly no. Yeah. Compared to the rest of them, I'd still probably guess no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but like I said, this is the one time I've seen all of these films. And I would say 12 Years of Slave definitely deserved to win. But I need to give a special shout out because these are like the bottom end, I would imagine, of these Best Picture nominees. But people need to see Nebraska and need to see Philomena. Uh, Nebraska, I've only seen it once, but it is a truly, it's a masterpiece of a beautiful indie movie written and directed by Alexander, Alexander, oh, what is the second name? It's not Alexander McQueen. Oh my God, Alexander Payne. Um, And absolutely with, what's his name, played the lead? Ah, his daughter just won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Dern, uh, Bruce Dern. Oh, yeah, it's true. It's made in black and white. Two nominees. I remember for Best Actor and June Squibb got Best Supporting Actress nominated for it as well. So if anyone here hasn't seen Nebraska, watch it. If anyone here hasn't seen Philomena, watch it. Philomena is, it's an Irish film. Well, it's actually a British um, film, but it's uh, based around an Irish story about uh, a mother who gave up her child, was forced into a Magdalene laundry and uh, had her child taken off her and sold to American parents. Um, so if you guys, and it's a true story and it's heartbreaking, truly and utterly heartbreaking. It's so true. I have no idea that that's... Yeah. If, what, what, time is, if, what time is it there now? Uh, it's like eight. It's eight. It's five, nearly 1 a.m. here. So you have time to watch that. It's only... It's, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's only, I think it's about 90 minutes, about an hour and 45, and it's funny, and it's heartbreaking, and it has Judy Dench. So everything you want. So right. uh, it'll make you fall in love with Judy Dench even more. So if you guys haven't seen, well, I'm presuming you've seen 12 Years a Slave if you're here, but if you have, um, probably of all the films that are nominated, I can't recommend Nebraska and Philomena highly enough, especially from this year, but probably of all the years as well. So that is 12 Years a Slave, decided as the runner-up in this bracket of what was it? Ergo, 12 Years a Slave, and Birdman, The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which means number one goes to... And the Oscar goes to... Spotlight. Yeah. Which, I, which is actually the most recent film I've watched out of all these. Spotlight is a true story of the Boston Globe and covered the mass, massive scandal of child molestation and cover-up within the local Ch- Catholic archdiocese, shaking the entire Catholic church to its core. Shockingly enough, it only won two Oscars, which is the fewest out of all of these films. I'm actually not surprised by that. 
No, it was nominated for further four. Uh, and it was nominated for, I think, actually, the fewest out of all of these as well. No, actually, I got confused. 142 nominations and 123 wins in all competitions. It obviously won Best Picture. What was the other win it had? Um, Best Picture and... Uh, oh, I have no idea. Best Original Screenplay. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it won, yeah. Josh Singer and Tom McCarthy uh, wrote the script. It got nominated for Mark Ruffalo, Best Supporting Actor, uh, Rachel McAdams, Best Supporting Actress, mm -hmm. Tom McCarthy for Best Director, and Tom McArdle for Film Editing. Mm. So, and it is your number one. I, again, I you could put this film sort of similar enough to 12 Years a Slave, as in, like, it's, it's true life come mm -hmm. to... To welcome to the screen, except it's less visceral because you don't see anything, but you get to really like it. It's a drama in the way you you people talk about it rather than actually seeing it. But it's mm -hmm. truly and utterly heartbreaking and despicable and disgusting that this happened and everyone knew about it, but no one came forward with it. Mm -hmm. But tell me, what for you made it your number one? I think there, I mean, there are a few bits to it, but really, if I think about it film wise, it was. I think it touched on a lot of really universal issues. Mm. Well, yes, it was very focused on the Catholic church and the scandals. And, you know, you see at the end of the credits, all of what happened, I, or the, the truth of what happened rather. I think that it really just, for me, what was so moving was how much it highlighted such a large issue in society all around in terms of yeah. how we're able to rewrite stories and cover things up to protect certain things and certain people and the, the length of the history that has gone on and the amount of people that are involved with these things that we think maybe, you know, it's one or two, right? It's, yeah. I mean, it's that scene when they think, oh, well, maybe there are only this many, or I, I don't remember how many they were looking for, like maybe nine or something or 10. Yeah. And then you discover, oh, no, 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 that number is not real. And how uh, divisive it's made society. And mm -hmm. I mean, in particular, all the scenes that he has with the man who is involved with um, the church and saying, you know, like, just let it go. This is this isn't this isn't good for you. This isn't good for us. If, if you keep pursuing this. Yeah. yeah. When he was in the like, I get like with this film, it, I, I think the performances were exceptional. Um, I was surprised. This was actually, I think, two years in a row or two and three years that uh, Michael Keaton was in the Best Picture winner. Um, and I felt that he, I, to be honest, I don't know what was nominated for for Best Actor, but I felt like he should have been up there. Be nominated. I thought he was really understated. And not, like, uh, I think it's he's a better performance in Birdman because there's a lot more to work with, a lot yeah. more happening, and it's, it's the focus is the same. But I think as an understated, like, incredible, the focus of this, the eyes are true him. I thought he was just magnificent. But the scene and where he... Something... Sorry, I didn't have you. No, go ahead, go ahead. Something about the seeing all the people that came forward. Yeah. And it's one thing to see it once with the person who was um, a victim to all of this and explaining, you know, I already told you. But then seeing how many times information can be brought forward and how many times it gets swept under the rug again. And the fact that people know about this stuff, 
but it just keeps getting forgotten and swept. And, you know, you think hearing it, if, if you hear once like, oh, you'd never be able to ignore that. Yet the reality is with so many things, they do get brought up over and over and over again. And I mean, just like little side tangent, but if we think of the Me Too movement, Mm. a lot of people still believe it really only started in, I don't know what, 2017, 2018. Yeah. When in reality, it was started by Pronoberg years and years prior. So it's that issue of, oh, wow, this is a discovery. We have to do something about it now. But then acknowledging how often and how much things get ignored and pushed aside beforehand and how that hasn't changed. It's literally like when people say, whatever, who... The, on, on Plymouth Rock, they they discovered America, or Christopher Columbus discovered America, which was a lie. He never set foot in America. But like, no, because people were living in America for thousands of years before <laughs> Europeans came over. So how can yeah. you discover a land that has people living there? But the same as this, yeah, there's no. It was literally just a case of putting pieces together, and the fact that it was so wrapped up. And what I really love, because I think again, this is such a remarkably cast film. That you, I didn't feel like I was watching Mark Ruffalo, Rage McAdams, Michael Keaton, or whoever, or yeah. even people with smaller roles that I'd seen and stuff. I felt I was actually there. That's a testament to the directing by Tom McCarthy and, and the script itself uh, by John Singer and Tom McCarthy. That they, they kept, like we said, kept it so tight and like kept it so real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every time they were pushing against it, it was being pushed back. And every time that it was brought up and they were in a room, like I'm getting the scenes now in a minute, but like the characters would wince or give a little thing away that the show is that they, they don't want to be hiding this. They don't like, they, they obviously have kids or grandkids or like, they don't want to be doing this, but like, they're like for the greater good, mm-hmm. the Catholic church needs to be the the beacon of hope. And it's long been since I think we'll, we'll go into to best to best scene now, but I'll give a couple of the, the again, not so fun facts. I think these are a little bit fun, more fun than 12 Years a Slave. The real Walter Robinson said of Michael Keaton, it's like watching yourself in a mirror, yet you've no control of the mirror image. In the baseball game, the real Michael Resendez, uh, Sasha Pfeiffer and Walter Robinson can be seen in the background. The screenplay for this film was featured in the 2013 Blacklist as a list of the most liked unmade scripts of the year. So there you go. There's a couple of fun facts for you. So for you, what is your scene? And for me, I think there's so many scenes to pick from this. Like, it's oh, so... I mean, that's the thing. And I was actually just thinking about it before you asked that. In terms of actors as well, I'm like, it's hard to pick out a performance because it really is such an ensemble piece. Yeah that it's it doesn't really feel fair to say like you know mark ruffalo did the best part like it's just such a a collaborative um, all these parts of a machine but scene wise oh the scene when he comes forward and he they pull out the file they pull out the article that was written the very very simple sort of overbrushing saying yep this is happening da 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 And when they all realize that and sort of take that moment and say, okay, we didn't, but it's not the time now to feel sorry for ourselves or feel bad that we didn't catch something. Hmm. It's the time to actually do something about this and move forward with it. 
Yeah, I, I, that's it. I, is this when Michael Keaton it, it discovers that it was his? When sorry, I actually love that because it gives uh, Lee Schreiber's character, I can't think, Maury, I can't remember his name, or Marty something, where he's the leader. He's kind of shown because he's this kind of really quiet, reserved guy. But then he's like, "You guys take the weekend, uh, come back Monday." But like, we need your A games now. Take in whatever you have to do. I was yeah. like, and it's also like have your final moment of not being the most talked about people in the world for a short time because you're exposing this. I yeah, I love. Sorry, I actually didn't ask. I meant to ask earlier on. You hadn't seen this before. Hadn't no. seen Spotlight before. But what what was your pre notion about this before you actually watched it? So. Spotlight is actually the movie I have a little bit of an interesting story about. Oh, lovely. Okay. So you sent me um, the list. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was on the first list and Argo was the one that was added afterwards. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I remember seeing it and I was looking at the list and I was like, okay, yeah, I've heard of all these. And I was like, Spotlight. I'm pretty sure I've heard of that before. I think that film was like a really, I mean, obviously it was a big deal, but there was a moment where I was like, I'm pretty sure that was a, Big like there was something that stuck out about it for me, and I looked around and I th- and I thought about it. And I was like, oh, I think this was filmed in Toronto. That's probably why I'd heard about it before, ah. and that was why it was sort of a bit more present in my mind in terms of Oscar films because you yeah. know another Canadian film is or partially Canadian film at least yeah. for an Oscar there's a bit more hubbub especially on the Facebook and, and stuff about it where I was like oh I probably had people you know posting about it more and stuff and then you know seeing Rachel McAdams in it and stuff I was like oh okay this makes sense and then it hit me while I was watching it and up pops my dear friend Robbie Clark playing the judge and I was like Oh, <laughs> that's why this film was always in my mind. It's a really big deal because I remembered seeing everyone congratulating Robbie because it won the Oscar and everyone being so excited and me thinking, oh my gosh, I have to see this film because my pal was in it. So there it was. I was like, oh, it's because like a there dear, a dear, dear, wonderful, wonderful man was in this film. And so, of course, I'd heard about it before because of this but I just totally lost any sense of that and and that connection and so that's so funny what, which been, judge which judge did he play uh, so he's the judge where they it's like very it's I'd say like the the last third mm. and they come around and they they have a, a small conversation he's like really what do you mean his rings uh, yeah yeah he has the glasses. Is that, is that yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. I I do love that scene when he's oh. going up because he needs to get the the files, the fourteen pages of the yeah. files that are. I need to just. I know exactly that scene. That is a great scene. Oh. And fair play to Robbie, who is now yeah. uh, a friend of the show. Thanks for being a friend of the show. Yes, Robbie. shout out to <laughs> Clark. He really is one of the the most darling people I've ever met in my life. He's a, a swell, swell man, and did. Um, I mean, it's funny because. I mean, so, so often being in Canada, like, you know, we'll see the Canadian commercials and stuff. Yeah. And every, you know, second commercial is filled with someone you did an acting class with or something because it's yeah. just so Toronto central as well. And while the community is huge, it's still quite small. But then to be watching an Oscar nominated film with someone pop up in it is so there, there's always a little bit of giddiness to it. Yeah, of course. And sort of pride. We're like, ah, oh, look at you go, and you're so good. 
and look at you acting. (laughs) Look at you pretending. (laughs) It is a huge thing. And I mean, also considering Rachel McAdams and the fact that. Of course, yeah. I mean, one of my (laughs) Canadian favorite TV shows. I mean, uh, not even just Canadian favorite TV shows. Favorite TV shows of all time did, in fact, feature a very young Rachel McAdams before she blew up in Hollywood. Oh, so there you go. You know, and it is always, there is always a sense, too, I find when you see these Canadian-produced films, to see when Rachel McAdams is in one, Mm. a little bit like, hmm, there you are. (laughs) You're coming home. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, um, that's that's cool. In, uh, well, congrats to to Robbie and for Rachel McAdams for for winning Best Picture. Yeah, and for being number one in this. For me, uh, I've got a couple of scenes that I think that one you chose the when they discovered the twenty that they've already written about the twenty uh, abused kids, but as well when when Mark Ruffalo's characters. Oh, by the way, somebody who hasn't got mentioned yet because I can't think of it. Stanley Tucci in this mm-hmm. film is absolutely spectacular, mm-hmm. and I love when he's bringing in the guy Patrick to give a deposition to or give a, an interview to uh, Mark Ruffalo's character and uh, he's so protective of him and saying we can cut this off whenever you want and it's the same and especially at the end when like the article is done and it, you feel like everyone's euphoric because like this is out there this is great but then he kind of takes that as little kind of smile to himself but then he's walking out and then he's and more clients coming in kids that were abused do you know three of them and you're like this yeah. doesn't stop for him you know, yeah, that that's it, actually a really powerful and yeah where he comes around and explains and you're like well yeah, i know this is great for you because you've done this but it's not stopping yeah it's not stopping it's just that luckily people will know about it now but i think there, there's two other ones that really like again like if the more i think about it the more i can say there's there's three more that point out <laughs> god when michael keaton is speaking for the last time before it's going to press with the, like the head of the Catholic League or whatever, whoever it is that is a friend of his, mm. and they're having the drinks at the bar. Yeah, and also another one just came to my mind when he is in his old alumni in his high school talking about the, the oh, teacher that the, yeah, and he's like, and I was with the guy and he um, he didn't know why he chose him. He was the hockey coach. And it's like, what if he didn't like hockey? What if he liked football? We're talking about it, it could have been it could have been the guy that was talking to him and stuff like that, but. For me, the main one, out as well, sorry, when the, the priest, who is obviously older and suffering from something, just tells Rachel McAdams' character, like, ah, yeah, the everything. Like, well, I never got pleasure from it and all that. It's just, it shows, I mean, I think what's amazing about the film is that it shows so many layers. Yeah. And it shows so many perspectives that, well, yes, there's, of course, the side of, you know, believing no this shouldn't be happening this abuse mm. should be happening but you do see all these perspectives and i mean the script does a beautiful job of expressing each person's beliefs and even while you may not agree with them yeah they're speaking such a strong truth yeah that it's really i mean it's not difficult to think this kind of abuse shouldn't be happening but you feel for the other people mm. I mean, at least I did. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's such a, I mean, you look at it and it's not like it's a whole lot of gray area, but in another way there is. Yeah. Oh no, it's it's just incredibly, it's incredibly painful film to watch 
and like but the main scene for me will be the main scene is when because like the frustration is building up in i think all of us because we're so sucked in that we just want this to be released so this can stop especially even when um well, Brian Darcy James's character was like, uh, Bundy's in my is in my state. Um, yeah. I've got oh, kids yeah. live here. Yeah. I know it's a top secret, but I need to tell people. And he's like, you can tell them soon. And so he, you're getting that build up of like, just get this out there. And then when they have Gagan and they have everything and they, they have like the Cardinal, then the Cardinal Law, they know he's lying and to protect us. And then he, he's like, we need to get, and Mark Ruffin's like, we need to get this out. We need to get this out. And then Michael Keaton's character was like, no. Like, no, it's not there yet. It's taken on the institution, not just this. And Mark Ruffalo loses it. They did it to kids. They did it. it could have been me. It could have been you. It could have been all of us. Mm-hmm. They did it. We need to get us out here. That is what all of us wanted, are wanting to do, is just scream and be like, how did they let this happen? Should we take it up to Ben? Uh, no, not yet. Why not? We got law. This is it. No, this is law covering for one priest. There's another 90 out there. Yeah, and we'll, we'll print that story when we get it, but we, we got to go with this now. No, I'm not going to rush the story, Mike. But we don't have a choice, Robbie. If we don't rush to print, somebody else is going to find these letters no. and butcher the story. Joe Quimby from the Herald was at the freaking courthouse. So we'll write a holding story and we'll keep our eye on the Herald. Keep our eye on the Herald? Yeah. They run this and they get it wrong. The church will bury it. We, we got to do this now. Mike, Mike. What? Why, why are we hesitating? Barron told us to get law. This is law. Barron told us to get the system. We need the full scope. That's the only thing that will put an end to this. Then let's take it up to Ben. Let him decide. We'll take it to Ben when I say it's time. It's time, Robbie. It's time. They knew and they let it happen to kids. Okay? It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been any of us. We gotta nail these scumbags. We gotta show people that nobody can get away with this. Not a priest or a cardinal or a freaking pope. How do they let this happen? Well, and it's also looking at the fact that, and I mean, I do wonder about this and how, you know, he keeps pushing and saying we have to make sure we talk the whole story and talk about the institution. It cannot just be this incident. And I think it's really wise considering the fact that they already talked about the incident. Yes. It was already done, and it's just such proof of the fact that you need to. And it's such a, I mean, it's such a shame that that is the case, right? And so you'd want to believe that, yes, you could just publish one story about a situation. People would take that seriously. But then also looking at the fact that in terms of journalism, they understand that we have to talk about the whole institution. We have to frame how large this story actually is because otherwise it could just get lost. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. That's the reality. Because the Catholic church has such power that they can make like the fact that this has already been in the news and no one cared because they have control over everything. But spotlight is your choice of number one. And it is a very, very, very like, it's hard to have a bad choice when it comes to these best pictures, but Surprise that Spotlight was my first choice. You're surprised? You're the one who said it. No, I know, but I mean, like, when I was thinking about it before, and and really considering sort of, like, where I rank the films, I was actually really surprised that Spotlight was my second. Or, sorry, the Spotlight was my first. Yeah, I was like, but it was no more film. I I thought about it, and it just sort of kept coming back. I was like, no, that was the film that really... um, Yeah. 
affect you the most. Absolutely. And okay, so it obviously won Best Picture, but it was nominated alongside The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Room. Did it deserve to win Best Picture? Again, such a weird mix of I know, right? Okay, sorry. So it was Revenant, Brooklyn. Uh, Revenant, Brooklyn, The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, and Room. Okay. Again, I've only unfortunately actually completed the other films. It's like your favorite number. I know. <laughs> yeah. I told you, I haven't seen the films. This is yeah. my my COVID, my COVID goal is to catch up on all these things that I missed. <laughs> I mean, in regards to the ones that I saw, I would say, yes, this deserves Which, What did you see? I saw Brooklyn. I saw yeah. um, The Revenant. Yeah. And I saw, but, 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 oh, I'm so sorry to make you list them again. The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Big Brooklyn. Short. Big Short is Big the other one. Yeah, Big Short is excellent. I mean, they were all good films. I wouldn't compare them to the weight and poignancy of Spotlight. Yeah. And I mean, like, without having seen it, I wouldn't consider it a competitor with Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, Mad Max Fury Road is exceptional. But it's, it? it's yeah, it is. It's a, an amazing film. Genuinely amazing. Like, I would watch that. It's for soundtrack, everything. Okay. It's a brilliant film. Doesn't deserve it deserves to get nominated, but it doesn't deserve to win. Okay. Spotlight for me definitely deserves to win. Out of all I've seen the Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Mad Max, obviously, The Martian Revenant. I haven't seen the only I haven't seen Room or Brooklyn. And Spotlight definitely, and for me, Big Short would come second. But Spotlight definitely deserves it. I know it's Irish and I'm Irish, but I haven't. Um, I probably will at some point, but it just hasn't come up. Just hasn't come up in conversation. Uh, well, actually, it has come up in conversation right now, so now I have to watch it. But yeah, that's it. That's Spotlight is takes the, the second episode and takes the second bracket. If you want to find out who took the first bracket winner, um, make sure to check out my previous episode, for, um, which is Robert What's that? I was going to say, I want to know, but you'll have to text me. Yeah, or else I could just tell you right after we finish recording. <laughs> so make sure to tune out to that to see who came first there, who Spotlight will be competing with to be the best pitcher of this decade and maybe the best pitcher of all time. But before, I didn't tell you this, Leah, so you wouldn't be able to look it up. I did a poll on Twitter, which has amassed 17 votes of, uh, yeah, an incredible 17 votes of what order it would come in for her, for the best films from fourth to, fourth to first. Oh, you, my of your list, yeah, I put it up on Twitter. <laughs> my personal films that I created. Yeah. That yeah, that you made. Sure, Jan. If you were going to take a wild guess, where do you think the order would be? I'm. I will tell you. I'm shocked. I am shocked. Yeah. You're shocked by the list, or you're shocked I, by compared to mine. I'm not shocked by the winner, but I'm shocked by the order of the following tree. Okay. Twelve Years a Slave. I feel is the winner. Yeah. Okay. Then Birdman. Yeah, I think it's Twelve Years a Slave. Birdman, oh. Spotlight and Argo. It is, according to Twitter and the seventeen votes, Twelve Years a Slave with forty-seven percent of the vote, mm-hmm. followed by Argo with twenty-four percent of the vote. Oh, followed by Spotlight with seventeen percent of the vote, and then in last place again, I'll have you find, is Birdman with only twelve percent of the vote. But people agree with me. But you don't agree with you. You literally said, I want to no, change. I know. No, yeah. <laughs> However, I can understand why Birdman ended up in last. Yes. I don't agree with it necessarily, but I understand why it ended I, up. I, I do. I think it's 
I think eventually everyone will get to putting that up there higher. I think like you have to be a certain stage of your life and hit a certain level of darkness in your soul. So before we do our, our work, well, basically, where can people find you, Talia? Oh, yes, I'm on the internet. I actually wasn't for quite a while, and then I got a new job, and it requires me to be on the internet, so I'm on the well, internet. By, by the time this episode comes out, your new job will be an old job, or else it'll right. be... Or else it'll be a no job. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, hopefully not. I yeah, had a contract. No job by then. But yes, I am on the internets. I don't know where am I? Oh, so I'm on personally on the Instagram at t e a k a n e, which spells t cane. Um, I'm also there as um my production company, Crave. Oh, it's Crave Quad. Like plotting for a craving. Simply, it's C R A V E P R O D. Also on Twitter, where I I often just retweet and share things. I find that very exciting. On occasion, I'll throw in the fun odd tweet, and I, I do pride myself on those. They're you know maybe once or twice a year, but they're they're not bad. Something forward to for Christmas. <laughs> that is Talia underscore Kane. I'm on LinkedIn. If you want to find me there, I don't know why you would, but I think you're going to be soon, like just giving out your address and your phone number and your your schedule and everything. So I think we'll, we'll cut you out. That's where you can find Talia. That's where you can find her legally. If you want to go down different routes, yeah. I'll let you go off your own back. LinkedIn uh, is pretty important. Yeah, uh, I'm. You can find me at, at Acting Joe on Twitter. Um, my little my theater company is Little Shadow Theater Company, which is at Theater Shadow. I'm on Instagram at Joe Your Own Way and my theater company is at Little Shadow Theater. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel where I make short films and have different different things on there so you can come judge me and rank me from whatever to whatever. I'd very much appreciate it. No, I wouldn't. It would break my heart if you put me down low. And then you can find me there and also love and share the channel by sharing this link out and getting loads of like-minded people to listen because the more viewers, the happier I am. Talia, before you go, even though I have a look at the screen and you are gone... <laughs> <laughs> do you have any film recommendations for people here that you've seen recently or just a favorite film from your past outside of Barney that you'd like people to watch? Okay. Also, I just have to give you the proper name of it because I did look it up. Okay. Because it's not Barney's Adventures in New York. Although that is, they have like a, a film version of him at Radio City Music Hall or something. Oh, okay. Which uh, I remember my mother just told me that I like watched it until the videotape literally wore out. Oh, <laughs> But the first <laughs> film, in case you're all extraordinarily enticed to see it, which I'm sure you are, was called Barney's Great Adventure. <laughs> it has a 3.1 out of 10 on IMDb rating. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, the... Sorry, I just have it pulled up now, and I feel like these facts are really important to share. It was released in 98, so I did see it. I saw I was five when I saw it. Okay. To very accurately age me. The budget was 15 million US. Mother of God. And the box office made 12.22 million US. Oh, so, so it lost money. Oh. Of course it did. Yeah, sorry. Why am I shocked? Why am I sad it lost money? Too? I ran out of the theater crying. How many other children were traumatized <laughs> by this? I don't True. know. But yeah. apparently a fair few because it was not very highly rated. Although if you look at the audience reviews, it's a 
there are a lot of five stars, so that's strange. A lot of desperate people. Anyway, there's films I've seen recently. I don't know. Can you like add it in the notes or something? Yeah, I'll figure out something. Sorry, look, guys, it's 1.25 a.m. in Ireland right now. We've been recording this for two hours, which includes exactly two hours now, which include well, actually, a, an hour and 59 minutes and a bit, which included like 10 minutes of my internet breaking down. Mm-hmm. So for the fact we're even here now, I am overjoyed and I am so tired. <laughs> and I have to be up very early to get editing. So whatever film... Oh, film... actually, okay, I did go ahead, something go I'd like to say. I did think about this. Okay. Um, not really. And I mean, I wouldn't say this is like a greatest film of all time that you should see, but it is a really great film. And I only thought of it because you asked me about the first film that I saw that impacted me. Mm-hmm. And, or my favorite film, which evidently was apparently Barney. Um, <laughs> but the first... It also made me think about the first film I ever did. Oh, okay. In part because it was very recently released online on CBC Gym, which I don't know if you can actually access from Ireland or not. I think you might only be able to like access in Canada. I think it's blocked. But if you're able to find it somewhere, it is on the internet. It's on iTunes. It's called Dim the Fluorescence. It's okay. a lovely film. I'm literally in like the first six minutes. It's a very, very tiny role, but it was my first role in film. And so it was a bit exciting, but it actually really, really is um, an extraordinary movie. It's by Daniel Worth from Clumsy Ophelia Productions. And it really is, I won't spoil it or talk about it too much, but if you're an artist in particular, it's it's a really, really kind of Birdman-like. Oh, what's it in the flourish? What you call it? Uh, dim the fluorescence. Oh, dim the fluorescence. I don't know why I just I just <laughs> made up a title there. Sorry about that. In Which the fluorescence. Because you can't dim fluorescent lights. Well, leave them laughing. Uh, <laughs> and and Talia, thank you so much for joining. Very much appreciated. Please find and follow Talia on all her social medias. And if you're really dedicated, you can do it in person. She's literally not going anywhere or doing anything. It's a very boring life for all leaving. So I, 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 I recommend stalking someone else. But thanks so much for being on. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful day. And enjoy your next film outing. I'm going to try work on a better closing line. That, that, I thought that, that sounded better in my head. But anyway, thanks so much, guys. See you later. Bye. <laughs>that was our show uh, thanks again to Talia for taking the time out to watch the movies and to just be an absolutely spectacular guest please make sure to find her on all her social medias and to give her an L follow and and just tell her how great she is um, like I said during there and at the beginning of the pod uh, you can find us at Joe Talks Pod on Instagram Joe Talks Pod on Twitter and also please subscribe to my YouTube channel at Joe O'Neill I'll give that shout out as many times as I possibly can <laughs> So wherever you are in the world, I hope you're having, I hope you're safe. I hope you're having a good time, and I hope that it won't be too much longer before the world is right again. Um, and this hasn't been good for anyone, especially for people's mental health. And just so you know, uh, my DMs are always open for anyone because it's it's been fairly shit, and we all know that. But just remember to talk to people. You all have friends, so just it's it can be the most difficult thing sometimes to just pick up the phone and make a phone call. Um, but it's always, always worth it. But on to recommendations. Um, this is, I know it's a film podcast, but I have been watching the thick of it recently on, it's on Irish and UK Netflix. I'm not sure if where it is across the globe. Make sure to find it if you guys know Veep, which was a sensation, um, a political comedy um, across the States and across the world for about four or five years. It's 
I suppose it's a sister show to that. It was the thing that started it. It made Peter Capaldi a star. And it's just the most harsh and most ingenious, ingenious writing um, you'll ever see. Uh, Armando Inamucci. I can never pronounce his name. As if you've listened to this pod enough, you'll know how bad I am at pronouncing names. But he's my absolute hero and he's a genius. If you like Alan Partridge, you'll love this. Um, it's just, it's what, four seasons? I think about maybe 35 episodes altogether. Nearly, what are they, 40 minutes long, I think, half an hour long. Very easy, very bite-sized, hilarious. So if I can make one, one recommendation, it would be that. Um, it started off, uh, Peter Capaldi made him a star, as well as Chris Addison and loads of others. Um, if you like Veep, you'll love, 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 love this. Uh, but yep, yeah, that's it for me. Follow on the social medias. Have a great week. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you next week where my guest will be Aoife Morrison, Irish writer and actor where she will be discussing and ranking um, The Artist, The King's Speech and The Hurt Locker. So make sure to join us for that and I look forward to seeing you then. And please guys, help us out, share the pod, send it to friends, just get the word out there. Um, Every little helps and we need as much help as possible. And find us on our Patreon, um, just Patreon Joe Talks and if you can donate anything, it'd be greatly appreciated to help us keep going with this podcast. Other than that, have a great week and um, I'll see you soon. Bye.